So my wife and I were winding our way through LA streets. Has anybody been to LA? Anybody tried to park in LA? Well, you're, you're gonna do something exciting and it's like, you gotta pay to play in LA. I think that's the, the catchphrase. So we're driving through and I'm like, I think we're gonna have to park five miles away from this, this place. But our hearts were just pumping with anticipation. And so you would have thought that I was going to a, a sports event. And actually, ironically, my favorite team are the LA Dodgers. Cool. Wow, awesome. Three of you, sweet. Let's talk afterwards. My favorite team are the LA Dodgers. And they were playing about 10 minutes away. And this was such an exciting event that I didn't even care. See, my wife and I had gotten wrapped into this series on Netflix called Chef's Table. And if you've seen Chef's Table, it can like transform you in a moment. And then my wife will look over and be like, are you crying? Like, no, don't worry about it. Like, it's so beautiful. You know, the table is just full of goodness. And then this symphonic sounds in the background, it just draws you to the beauty of the table. And as we began to to watch Chef's Table, we were uh, through a few episodes and we made it our goal to go to one of those restaurants, at least. Maybe we'll go to many of them that were featured there. Some of the best restaurants in the world. And we had a reservation in about two hours to one of the best restaurants in the world. And we got to go there. So as our hearts are pumping, we're walking up to this place. I'm telling you, start to finish this night was surprise and delight. From the moment that we walked in, we felt so loved, we felt cared for. The food was incredible, the drink was amazing, the service couldn't have been any better. It was an unbelievable night that my wife and I will never forget. It's just something that happens at the table. And I wanna weave in and out of this theme today. And if you didn't eat, breakfast this morning. I'm sorry you're going to be so ready for lunch after this, but I'm going to weave in and out of stories, stories both in our lives, maybe stories that will pop up. Maybe you're like even smelling the food this morning as we talk about the power of the table. There's just something about the table. Now, what's interesting is that nights like that, as you can probably imagine, they're amazing exactly because they're not normal. I don't know if that surprises you. I have four kids. We don't eat like it's a world-class restaurant every night. I don't know. Maybe we're terrible parents. I'm sure you guys have five, six-course meals every night. That's just not us. We haven't figured that out yet. It's like, oh, we made good food for you, kids. We don't want it. We want the cheap stuff. The cheaper, the better. The faster, the better. And see, our culture has taken food, taken the table, and turned it into a drive through How many times we're eating quickly in our car, and it's cheap, It's utility, shove some food in our bellies so we can just keep going like it's fuel. And yet we've missed something along the way. We've missed the beauty that happens at the table that goes well beyond what food can do because there's just something powerful about the community that happens. Now, one of the greatest privileges that I have is I actually get to set the table metaphorically and physically for leaders across the country. And we do these gatherings for leaders who are busy, who are tired, who've been pushing hard, which is, by the way, all of us this last year in this season. And we say, you come away, your only job is to receive for these four days. You wanna make leaders feel uncomfortable, guys? You wanna create an awkward moment? Tell leaders they can't do anything and they just have to receive. 
I love it. I love the awkward moment. So we create this awkward four-day moment, and what they don't know is that the apex moments, the, the most fun that we'll have, the best moments that they will remember don't just happen at Top Golf, or they don't happen as we're go-karting. That's hilarious, by the way, to watch a bunch of type A leaders go go-karting together. Like The fact that we haven't been kicked out yet is definitely an honor to me uh, because it gets a little crazy. And we have an amazing four days, but what they don't know is that the apex is the last night. We come to the table once we've been off doing fun stuff and the guys kind of come in, you know, we forget about food off and go, oh yeah, what's for dinner? What they don't know is that I partner with a chef and a curator, his name's Michael, and he's incredibly gifted, incredibly full of care around the table in every single detail. And as we walk in the house, in the back of the house is an eight-course meal ready to be consumed. Beautiful night, and the pool is lit up, and the palm trees are lit up. It's like an otherworldly experience. And they walk out, the music is set, the table is set, and they go, oh, this is what we're doing tonight. And I'm telling you, they step into another world. For over four hours, these dinners take. It's eight meals. I'm telling you, we've had tears. We've had laughs. We've had the encouraging moments where you pull a guy uh, you know, aside and you pray for him, you speak life into someone, and it's happened at the table. Those are special moments. One of those moments, we were almost done with the eight-course meal, and the guy says, guys, I just need to stop us. And by the way, that, that's always a scary moment, right? You don't know what's coming after that. Guys, I just need to stop us. And he said, this is the most incredible meal I've ever had in my whole life. And we're like, first of all, this is a moment. Second of all, no one tell his wife, okay? Like, guarantee you are not allowed to tell his wife or his mom from Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving dinners growing up. But this was a special moment, and we captured it together. My life, and hopefully your life, is full of these moments where we sit at the table, where God meets us in places of community, when we're broken and we don't realize it, when we need to celebrate and we don't realize it until we come to the table. See, it's not just about food here at the table. It's about people. It's about love. And there's this, this phrase we see throughout scripture, but especially in Psalm 34, 8, it says, taste and see the Lord is good. Taste and see the Lord is good. Now, what's interesting is in the Greek is the word is not just taste, like we would taste some food, but it actually means enjoy. Enjoy, experience, and see that the Lord is good. And on these experiences, these four-day gatherings, I say it, oh, I don't know, a hundred times, it's become a joke where they'll say, oh, what are we doing next? They'll say, don't worry about it. Just taste and see. Enjoy the moment. How many times are we always thinking about the next thing? Are we fast-forwarding to what's next? Are we so fearful we don't actually get to taste and see that the Lord is good? Now, what's interesting is meals are a big deal in the Bible, and they were a big deal to Jesus. Meals mattered a lot. Now we think about that culture. That culture, especially then, is a slow culture. Fast food, there was not such a thing as fast food, drive-throughs, none of that. All food was slow food. Back before the slow food movement was cool. Like, hey, I've got a great idea. We should make food slow again. And that's just how it was. That was normal to them. 
And so I'm, I'm gonna kind of weave in and out of these different stories, these different meals, these different passages. There's a book called Tablet to Table, which I highly recommend, just a short book for you guys this summer that's been incredibly helpful for me. I'm gonna reference multiple times. But the author, Leonard Sweet, he says, the first word God speaks to human beings in the Bible, God's very first commandment is eat freely. The words out of God's mouth in the Bible, his final command, drink freely. There's something special about the table. Now we think about Matthew's house. So Jesus would find himself in these precarious environments and I kind of think that he liked it. I kind of think he liked creating those awkward, tension-filled moments. And so he's at a dinner party. Now this helped Jesus get a bad reputation. He's reclining, uh, modern day word, hanging out, chilling with tax collectors and sinners. So later, Levi, or Matthew, as we know him, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as many dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. Don't you just love that? Like the disreputable by the way, there were many of these people who were hanging around. This was normal. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he hang out with these people? Who are his real friends? Can we trust this guy? There's so many questions behind that question. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Friends, Jesus received love and disdain at this dinner party. Who we hang out with says a lot about us. Who we invite into relationship says a lot about us. Gene LeClerc says this, Jesus ate good food with bad people. Jesus ate good food with bad people. That was one of his life habits. That was one of his rhythms. That's just what he did was he invited people into relationship that thought they had no business being in relationship with someone who was religious. And he would invite them to the table, something powerful happens at the table. When we come together, we let our guard down. And we think about this feeding of the 5,000 story. That, and uh, it's, it's a crazy story, obviously, if you just think about it. Like, if you've ever been an event planner, you think about just how crazy that is right there. Like, you know how much catering it takes, you know how much time it takes, you know all of that. So you're going to all the details and you're like, man, it's enough to get my family of six at the table to wrangle all people as they get older, to just like sit at the table. And I'm telling you, the miracle at my house is if everybody actually likes dinner. Like, that's just it. I believe in miracles, it's happened twice. Where it's like, if someone just doesn't complain, if everyone here wants seconds, you're like, thank you, Lord because there's not much of this. So this right here, 5,000 people, and we think about what's happening here. The context is that Jesus has just lost his cousin, a close friend, John the Baptist. What does he need? Time alone. He needs time alone to grieve. What does he get? Just the opposite. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Thanks, guys. I was looking for a little alone time here. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them 
and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is over. Send the crowds away and go into the villages by food so they can buy food for themselves. So let me translate. The people are getting hangry, all right? We're gonna have a bad situation on our hands and we can't afford it. So just send them to Chipotle and just they'll get their food, they'll come on back, right? They'll be a little bit nicer. That's a good move, by the way. He's thinking about food before they need it. But Jesus said, they need to, or they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat, he says. What a moment. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets. Remember that, 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's a lot of people. And that's a whole lot more than 5,000. Now, what I don't want you to miss is this. There were leftovers. There weren't six baskets of leftovers. There were 12 baskets. And you see the people who were part of the miracle, the disciples who were passing it out, probably weren't busy eating at the time. You know how it is when you're serving and you're on your feet and you're busy. And there's like a whole team of people that makes these kind of things on Sunday mornings happen. And we're busy, right? People are doing things. And then later you go, oh, I had no idea how hungry I am. But don't miss this. Not only were they part of the miracle, he could have just done it and then it came down from the sky or here on three, I'm gonna chuck it out there. But each was distributing the miracle and then they got to take the miracle home with them. The most holy of leftovers. And then they got to tell their families, you would never believe it. You would never believe there were thousands of people and here's the food, here's the miracle. I don't know, but I'm a fan of leftovers. Anybody else here a fan of leftovers? Sometimes that's the best stuff. You're like, I hope they don't eat all this because I really would like to eat that tomorrow. That's really good heated up later. They got leftovers from this miracle, 12 baskets full. Now, another story we see is this Mary and Martha story. Now, let's be real. It's the classic debate. People show up early at your house for dinner and you go, oh man, should I be in the kitchen loving them by getting the food ready or should I be with them and let the food suffer a little bit? Ever lived in that conundrum? It's a tough one, I will say. And this isn't like open concept situation. Like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna cut some stuff here on the charcuterie board while you're right over there. It's like you are off over here. And I feel like in this moment, Mary or Martha, is it the presence of Jesus or is it preparing food for Jesus? And I think Jesus is actually whispering, not shaming her, but whispering and saying, like, presence matters at the table more than the food at the table. You see, what we, what we aren't called to do, I believe, is to put food on tables to impress people. We only put food on tables to sort of lure people back to relationship. Because I don't know about you, but the best meals for me, they aren't about the meal. I think about that meal I'll never forget in LA. And I can probably remember one thing that I actually ate that night. And the great irony of the table in scripture is that the table's not actually about what's on the table. It's about who's at the table. Who's at the table. 
And I know Trace talks about this idea that we've got a long table here. Who else is invited to the table? There's nothing quite like getting invited to the table and there's nothing quite like not getting invited to the table and seeing pictures later on Instagram that everybody else had a great time at that event you really wanted to be at. There's this beautiful moment in scripture. I'm gonna take us into the the concept and the context of, of this moment. These were fishermen. They're fishermen out for the night. And I don't know if you've ever been skunked fishing. Will anyone admit that in public? Like you've caught zero fish fishing. Okay, thanks for honesty. Most of the rest of you are liars. All right, I'm just throwing that out there. I've gotten skunked before. It's a bad feeling. I'm not a professional fisherman. I'm just thinking, do I make up something to tell my family or do I just come in and be like, zero fish? Because when I do that, my family's just like, what, why? Why would you, you wasted your day. You don't get it. And then I say some phrase like, I don't know, it's just being out there, that's the fun. You know, like lie to them in some way like that. But it's like, oh, so they're skunked. They've been in the boat, they're tired. I bet you they're getting pretty close to hangry in this moment as well. This is a beautiful moment. And yet it happens in the context of disappointment. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So there's this shadow on the beach and this shadow yells, fellows, have you caught any fish? Ooh, salt in the wound. No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. Um, first of all, I'm sure they had been fishing both sides at some point. Like, okay, guy who we don't know, all right. But they do it, right? They were desperate, right? If you've fished and gotten skunked, you're desperate. You're like, what? I'll put a hot dog on the other end. Like, I don't care. I want to catch something. Like, they're desperate. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. I think you've heard this part of the story, and this is like an awesome children's story, and you're like, oh, it's so cool. But listen what comes next. Then the disciple Jesus loved, which, by the way, John is writing himself in the story, because he who writes history, I guess, gets to shape it a little bit. It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. Let me stop there. We ever hear a story of Peter jumping into the water before? He's back. Jumped into the water, headed to the shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish. Thanks for counting, John. And yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast. What a beautiful moment. Like in their disappointment, Jesus, who is often showing up at the party to eat, creates the breakfast. Breakfast on the beach. This is one of my favorite moments in scripture, by the way. Jesus, who had been showing up at dinner parties, says, these fellas need a dinner party in the form of breakfast on the beach right now. So, What's going on here? I have so many questions about this. It's a charcoal fire, which means that he has been creating these hot coals for several hours. 
There's loaves and fishes. By the way, don't miss that. Loaves and fishes, the same meal just distributed to 5,000 men and their families, maybe 10,000 people. What's going on here? Did Jesus catch these fish himself? There were already fish there before they got added. Did, did he bake the bread? Did he physically start the fire? Or was this some miracle? Was this like, a, okay, psh, you know, he prays, fire's there, already has coals, fish. Like, I, what is happening? Did Jesus fish ahead of time and then bake the bread? I don't know, but Jesus is preparing the meal this time. This is incredible. And they had already served before with Jesus, but this meal wasn't something that was gonna be done through them. This was with a meal that was given to them. Some of you in here have served Jesus your whole life, and yet you have a problem receiving from Jesus. Some of you are in your comfort zone. I'll put my hand up for this. When I get to serve people because I'm in some spot of power, I'm in some spot of control. And I can say the most vulnerable moments are when someone comes and serves me. It's hard to receive for some reason. Some of you today need to hear that God isn't just wanting to do things through you. He's wanting to do things in you and for you. Because see, when I come to a table, I don't just see the food, I see hours of preparation, I see intention, I see that this person spent so much time and love and care to get us at this table. I was shaped in a family where our best and hardest conversations happened around the table at night, where we laughed there, where we talked about our day, our family talks about highs and lows each day. I wanna know, what are my kids processing? What was hard for them? What was the heartbreak in your life? And what are you celebrating in your life? Something powerful happens at the table. And some of you have been so busy serving Jesus that you need to receive from Jesus. Some of you need that word this morning. See, this breakfast on the beach, they already knew Jesus' miracle power. They already had taken baskets home to their family of the same meal that Jesus is cooking here. The magic wasn't that it was loaves and fishes. I bet you that they commonly ate loaves and fishes. They probably ate them more than my family eats tacos. That was just common fare. And yet he's saying, this is different. This is for you, my friends. And friends meet at the table. Friends become family. And deepen in conversation, I would have loved to be there for breakfast on the beach. So what's interesting is that when we don't know what to do, we head to the table. When we don't know how to celebrate, when we don't know what to do, we just head to a table. We eat. When we're confused, we eat. When we're on first dates, we eat. When we want to close a business deal, we eat. We go get food. For some people, it's barbecue. For other people, it's picnics. For other people, it's leftovers. For me, it's almost always charcuterie board. Can I get an amen in here this morning? Whatever form of food that is in every culture across the world, whenever we just don't know what to do, we come back to the table and we eat. When I was in college, I was 20 years old, and there was just sort of this mini revival 
that broke out. God was doing incredible things in people's lives. People were coming to know him and people were saying, man, I've got this hidden junk in my, and sin in my life and I just have to come clean about it. And there was confession, these beautiful things happening in these catacombs that were our college dorm rooms that smelled like a seventh grade locker room. And we would gather at night and guys would just pack in and we would just share and we'd just ask this question, what's God doing in your life? And we started to call it the breaking of the bread. See, we'd drive to this little country supermarket and we would get the freshest bread they had. We'd get three or four loaves. We'd get a plate and we'd put some olive oil on it and we would just dip bread. We had grape juice. I was underage. And we would just sip grape juice and we would commune together for a few hours. When you don't know what to do, we just head to the table. And we headed to the table, packed in 15, 20 guys in this teeny room to say, what's God doing in your life? What's going on with you? What is God shaking loose? What new things are awry in your life? And when we don't know what to do, we find ourselves back at the table. Whenever it's time to celebrate in any culture, I've ended up at tables all over. I've looked over the Mediterranean before in Spain and eaten paella. I've actually spent a Thanksgiving dinner before, snow camping in the Tetons. I know, I'm crazy, it's okay. I've sat with people at little dives on the road and just had holy deep conversations about their life in little coffee shops across the country, even across the world. I've had jerk chicken in this little tin hut next to a beach in the Caribbean. I've eaten my friend's brisket that he stayed up all night for in the cold and we got to break into that together. I've had many, many picnics with my family. I don't know what that is for you, but when we don't know what to do, we celebrate at the table. We eat. Some of you just had graduations this week. Some of you at weddings have had massive meals. Some of you have had really special long table dinners. And my first book was published out into the world. The one thing I needed to do before that was listed on Amazon was just to get people at the table and to thank them. We sat for hours talking about these stories that were better in real life than they were in the book. And see, here's what I've learned. At first, we come to the table to fill our bellies but the best tables fill our hearts and souls. We don't actually come to tables to consume food. We come to tables to cultivate love and connection. You see, we can eat food alone in our car from a fast food restaurant, but that's not where we go to cultivate love and connection. It's here at the table. Now, the biggest thing I'm probably gonna share with you today is actually what is the best ingredient in any food ever? I came, I brought you all here to tell you the best ingredient in food ever, in any culture, undisputed is this, love. I have a friend of mine and his Italian grandma would always, he would say, grandma, what's, what's in this? I'm not gonna do the accent, I'm gonna spare you that. What's in this food? It is so good, besides a whole ton of carbs. And she said, love, my Daniel, love is the thing that's in my food. And I, I know, Grandma, but he said, there's just something different about this. A world-renowned chef named Anna Rose from Slovenia, she says, when one is loved, she can create better. When one is loved, she can create better. See, people ask her, like, what is in your food? Like, how do you do that? And of course, her skills are amazing. The ingredients are amazing. But she puts love into her food, and she can create better. The table will always be powerful. 
See, in our culture right now, there's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know if companies are going to force their people back to work or a lot more people are going to work remote. I don't know what's going to happen with large conferences. I don't know if travel will ever quite be back to what it was before. I don't know how this pandemic will change how our kids are shaped and formed and developed for years to come. There's a whole lot of things I don't know, but I can tell you one thing is that the table will never lose its power. There is something that has always been powerful that is powerful right now. And then I'll tell you, people are yearning for the table right now. We are lonely in our culture. We are disconnected. We are fearful and people are longing for the table. Leonard Sweet says again, if we were to make the table the most sacred object of furniture in every home, in every church, in every community, our faith would quickly regain its power and our world would quickly become a better place. A man once told a theologian, he said, I bet you I can tell you the whole Old Testament and the whole New Testament in three sentences each. This professor and theologian stumps, he said, go right ahead. This was his answer. The Old Testament, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. That's the story of the Jewish people. They remember, they ask this question, how is this night different from every other night? And they laugh and they enjoy and they rest and they replenish. The New Testament, I love you, I forgive you, let's eat. Oof, man, that gets me. I love you, I forgive you, let's eat. Some of you don't feel invited to the table. And Jesus says, I love you. I know what you've done. I know you. Come to the table. Don't uninvite yourself because you're invited to my table to enjoy, not just to taste food, but to enjoy. Friends, our culture right now is overwhelmed with information and fear and hungry for encounters and relationships. Let me say that again, guys. Our culture is overwhelmed with information and fear and hungry for encounters and relationships. We're not like, man, if I could just read more about what's going on in the world right now, that would bring me peace. That ain't exactly working that well. There's so much fear we're swimming in and yet people want encounters, encounters with the living God, encounters with neighbors, with friends. People want relationships. We're lonely, we want to reconnect and this is a moment and of all the stories in scripture, of all the tables in scripture, I think there's one that is an unbelievable experience. And I'm just gonna share that here in a few minutes. That's how we're gonna end. That's how we're gonna transition. But Michael, as I mentioned, our curator and this amazing chef, I asked him the question, Michael, what is it? What is it about the table that makes you spend days preparing and then hours and then we just watch him and he's just in his zone and element and he said this, he said, it seems an impossible, almost uh, mystical transformation that happens in front of a piping hot plate in an ice cold glass. As simple common ingredients are chopped and measured and simmered, they change and then they change us. As we gather around this food, knife and fork in hand, a holy niche is cut out of the busyness of our lives. In that margin, that soft soil, Beautiful and new things grow. Strangers become friends. Friends become family. Small talk becomes life-altering conversation. Hurts become healed. Mundane moments become holy shifts of perspective. 
It's beautiful. So what's your next step? Besides going out and getting lunch after this, because now you are thinking about your favorite restaurant and you're so hungry, what's the next step? Well, metaphorically today, I'm talking about a table. I'm talking about an invitation. I'm talking about Jesus has invited us, but don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm actually talking physical, like physical food, a physical table. There's something about these tables in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our friendships. And so I have some thoughts, and I just want to read this over you, why I believe tables matter right now. So Trace, cultural shifts have scared followers of Jesus out of the streets and away from inviting others to our tables like children fleeing a Colorado hailstorm. Disconnection, isolation, and cultural upheaval should instead be drawing us back to loving others like moths to a porch light. This is the moment to open our tables and draw others in. Friends, don't run for the hills, open your lives. Don't wonder whether your neighbor agrees with you, invite them to your table. Don't take the cues of cancel culture, follow the example of Jesus. Friends, don't cower in fear or obliterate people with your opinions on social media like people expect Christians to do. Flank them with love instead. Make this summer of food and friends one at your table. Loneliness and disconnection are overflowing. People want to come to your table. And friends, I know you're excited to travel this summer. I know you're excited to go places and do things and reconnect and and maybe make up for a little bit of lost time. I get that. But we've got a moment right now to invite people to your table. So that's my challenge to you today. Don't run, don't flee. Don't say, oh, they would never want to be with me. Our beliefs are different. We voted for somebody different. We have a different take on this whole season. They want to be at your table. Invite them to your table weekly. Take invites to their table. And there's this one moment, this one meal that I think sums up the life and ministry of Jesus the best. And we're gonna transition, actually get to taste and see of that moment in just a few minutes. So I'm gonna describe this and then we get to taste and see in a few moments of this in communion. You know the story well. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. You see that as the day started, they would eat breakfast standing up, then they would eat lunch sitting down, and by dinner time, they would be reclining. It's a sign of them letting their guard down and of tiredness throughout the day. While they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. That's a tough appetizer conversation right there. First course was a little bit rough. They were very sad and began to say to him, One after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Those are tough words. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, yes, you've said it so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread While he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Remember that phrase at the end of scripture, drink freely. Drink freely of what represents the blood of Christ. And we're gonna transition in just a minute into communion. And I'm not gonna lie, part of communion in our churches today, it grieves me. It grieves me that instead of this, a wine glass or instead of a cup of grape juice that you could guzzle and, and you were thirsty, instead of a piping hot bread that we could carry out and you could just rip a piece off, you'll be drinking this and eating this little situation. And some of you are saying, that's not the fullness of Jesus. That thing tastes like nothing. Just being real, okay? And so what I don't want you to do is just to have this, you know, crinkly little situation and, and go through. We, you know, if you attend a church, we do this. We do this on Sundays. I think we've forgotten the value of this. Maybe you imagine an amazing glass of wine. I mean, I, I wish I could have a bottle for you, a $40 glass. Maybe it's Cab or Merlot or Syrah. I, I wish I could have an amazing glass to just hand you and say, here, take it and drink freely and enjoy. I wish I had a huge loaf of bread to give all of you on the way out this morning. But that's it. That's it. That's, that's the invitation. The beautiful invitation friends, is not even about the food. It's not even about a loaf of bread. It's not even about the best wine that you can imagine from the best vineyard across the world or in Napa Valley. It isn't about fresh, fresh baked bread that you smell coming out of the oven. It isn't even about the little situation that we usually consume on Sunday mornings. It's about the invitation from Jesus. Of all meals in scripture, that one right there takes the cake for me because is there anything more powerful than sitting at a table in the presence of someone who you know is about to deny you, that you know is about to hand you over, that you know is about to slap you in the face and just say, I love you, let's eat. I love you, let's eat. And so friends at Trace, this morning, I wanna invite you to the tables. There are tables in the back and on either side. Don't think of this as just one little reminder, think of this as an invitation. And may this spur you to invite other people to your table. My friends, taste and see that the Lord is good. And in that tasting and seeing, would you invite others to your table this summer so that they may taste and see that the Lord is good. And through you, he deeply loves you. You're dismissed to communion.